0: This podcast was brought to you by Pastor Mike Calstrip and Fellowship Church. For more information, visit thefellowship.church. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5. Did you find that in your Bibles? Praise God. I want to get right to what I want to share with you today. Of course, most all of you know, it's, it's our custom. It's, it's not anything etched in, in stone or anything of that nature, but typically the first Sunday of each month we always have communion together. And I remember one time I was... <laughs> You know, people are funny. You know, uh, I remember one time, year, this years ago. So don't sit there and think, well, I wonder who that was. Um, uh, we got done with the service, and uh, <clears throat> right up here, uh, back in the back, you know, this gal, I, I don't know, maybe her first-time visitor or something, you know, she said, well, I really enjoyed your service. And I said, y- you know, when you hear that, you're waiting for the next part. And so I said, well, good. I'm glad you did. She said, there's only one thing wrong. And I said, okay, what's that, you know? Um, and she says, well, you didn't have communion. Now, in some places, in denominational preference, they have communion every time that they meet. Which, you know, that's fine. I don't, I don't see any problem with that. But of course, uh, according to her, uh, what do you want to call it? Not, not her disposition, but her, her belief, or her tenet, we should have communion. Well, again, the Bible says, this is what the Bible says. Aren't you glad for the Bible? Thank God it can provide some guidance for us. The Bible says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death until he comes. So there isn't any regimented, legalistic kind of approach to this. But thank God we do have this privilege uh, to come together Uh, as a memorial to him, as a reminder of what it is that Christ has done. And we have open communion here now, and some, again, denominational preferences, unless you're a member, um, you can't participate. Well, we have no such uh, ordinance or what do you want to call it, policy, maybe? Uh, If you know Jesus, we invite you to this table. After all, it is his table, right? It is the Lord's Supper. It's not mine. It's not, you know, fellowship churches. It's his And so we're going to have a good time. But I want to uh, share some things with you this morning relevant to uh, this table that we're about to partake of. Because how many of you know the Bible says that we are to be conformed into the image of his son? Huh? In other words, we're to become like him. Now, what enables the believer to be able to do that is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, you and I as believers then have the responsibility to you know, <clears throat> basically not allow our flesh or whatever else to dominate us, but rather to allow the Holy Spirit that is within us to be our guide. And so that He can, we can work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, I want to be able to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. So I've got this small window of you know, in my case, you know, 50 to 70 years or whatever the case might be, uh, to do everything that I can to uh, be able to hear that. And I want to do it throughout the rest of my life, don't you? Yeah. Amen. I don't want to, you know, well, I'll wait till the end, then I'll try to get straightened up. That's dumb. You know, why don't we just do it now? Because there's great blessing in following him. Amen. When you become a disciple or a follower of Christ, it's, a, it's the smartest thing you've ever done in your life. And so as you go down the road of life, you want to make sure that you're doing the same um, uh, till the end of your days. Glory to God. How many of you know the Bible says that it's with long life that he will satisfy us and show us his salvation? That's Psalm 91, verse 16. So you ought to believe God for long life. Yeah, take Johnny Nyla here. Johnny, how old are you now? Ninety? Uh, Ninety-three and half 93 and and a half. Ninety-three and a half. You know, when you get there, you start, you know, measuring a little bit differently. But uh, I'd say that's long life. Glory to God. Amen. And uh, so you ought to believe for that. You know, uh, the Bible promises three score and ten and with and and if by reason of strength more. So you ought to believe God for that. Amen. And um, so anyway, that's not really my subject. But um, really, uh, my sharing these things with you is uh, to prepare your heart to hear from heaven. It's not important what I have to say to you. It's what, What's important is what he says to you through what I say. And he'll speak to your heart today. He'll talk to you. And some of the things that I share today will have no application necessarily to your life in, the, in, in your current circumstance. Uh, and for some of you, it will but I want you to know right off the bat that, you know, my intent when I stand in this pulpit is not just to, you know, come up with something. My intent is to hear from heaven and, and be the messenger, uh, as it were, uh, to all of you. Because God loves you. That's why he put pastors in the church. That's why Jesus gave birth to the church. He said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So every believer needs the church in their lives. And I'm not talking about, you know, uh, uh, 40 miles away. I'm talking about engagement. I'm talking about involvement. I'm talking about service. You know, we need to serve in the kingdom of heaven. Are you listening to me? You say, well, I'm too old for that. Well, who told you that? Thanks for your enthusiasm. Amen. Well, you know, I've already done that. I don't need to do that. Well, (laughs) oh, I tell you, we're just going to have to work with you a little bit. There's always things that we can be engaged and be a part of to make a contribution, okay, in whatever way that that, uh, whatever that might look like. But so I hope that uh, uh, you'll do that because, again, praise God, uh, when he comes, we want to be involved, don't we? You all want to be involved? Okay. And so it's important that we do that. All right, let's pray together, and then I'm going to uh, I'm going to unpack this for you and uh, see where we end up. Father, we so thank you today for this privilege we have to gather in the name of Jesus. You said in your word that when we do so, Father, you're in our midst. So we thank you for having graced us here today. And, Father, I ask you to speak to each and every one of us. May there be no exemptions. May there be no—that uh, doesn't— uh, count to me. But Father, may we all stand in this place before you today to hear from you about our lives and how it is that you would have us to live. And God, I just want to thank you for everything you've done in our lives into this present hour. The grace that you have given to us and that which you've shown us, that which you have so benevolently and graciously provided for us. God, there's time would escape us to try to exhaust everything it is that you've done for us. But Father, we stand before you today thankful. And Father, as we look to the word of God, I again I thank you for the Holy Spirit and his ability, Father God, to teach us today in Jesus name. Amen. Hallelujah. Look with me here in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. Ephesians the 5th chapter verses 1 and 2. Be ye therefore followers or imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Let's read it one more time together. Notice with me again, it says that you and I are to be followers or imitators of God as his children. And walk in love. And then he goes on to describe the example of Christ, who also loved us and has given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God. Hallelujah. A couple weeks ago, I was talking about walking in love. How many of you know it's pretty important to walk in love? Amen. Because that's the commandment Jesus gave us in John chapter 13, 34, and 35. He said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. So shall you be my disciples. Hallelujah. By this, actually, it says that all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So the outstanding common characteristic of the believer or the child of God is to be a person who loves. Now, you know, in the world in which we live, there are a lot of definitions for love. You know, people say, well, I I love my wife. And people say, well, I love my puppy dog. And some people will say, well, I love bratwurst or hamburgers or hot dogs. Well, I hope that you don't love them on the same level. Let's put it that way. Are you listening to me? So by definition, love can mean a lot of different things. As a matter of fact, in the Greek language, there's four different definitions for the word love. And we won't try to, you know, exhaust that whole thought process. But he told us that we were to love one another as Christ loved the church. And the way in which he loved is that he gave himself for us. So one of the most outstanding characteristics about love is that it finds its expression in giving. Now, the other thing that you'll also find about the love of God is is that it also finds expression in serving. And then thirdly, I would just simply say that it also finds expression in obedience. Obedience. Hallelujah. You know, the Bible talks about the fact that you and I didn't love God you know, uh, first, but he loved us. Amen. It's because he loved us that you and I have the privilege of being able to love him. But I mentioned this again, and I'll, I'll do so. It, uh, to walk, it's a figure of speech. And, and what it's talking about is, is to pursue a course of action or a way of life the way you and I conduct ourselves, the way that we behave toward one another, it it means to be or to act in association with these characteristics of love that we talked about. You know, uh, I'll give you an example. You know, in a household, in family households, uh, there's num you know any number of them represented here uh, this morning. But um, let's just say within that household, something uh, solicits a misbehavior. In other words. Somebody, well, I, I know, you know, you have Johnny all summer, and, you know, he's right here up against you, you know, and you have an opportunity to pour into him and talk to him about life and, and be an example and show him, you know, how it is that we do things. And then little Johnny goes to school. And interestingly enough, he comes back. That, I mean, sometimes on the first day, and he's a different child. And you say, Where's Johnny? Well, obviously, he's went into this environment and he's been influenced by the surroundings of, you know, whatever it is that he finds himself involved in. And um, the first thing that you say to him is, in other words, if you're a good parent, you address the, the circumstance and you say, no, that is not the way that we behave in this house. Huh? I mean, is that fair? In other words, you know, <clears throat> we, 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 we put a stop to certain kinds of behavior. Why? Because that's not who we are. That's not who we've chosen to be or the way that we have chosen to live. It could be in the form of disrespect, uh, you know, maybe to mom or to dad or whatever the case might be. Well, what it is you do immediately is you, you address it. You, stop, you deal with it right there. You don't let it, you know... I <laughs> Oh, praise God. You know, you see a lot of things in 40 years. And you get close enough to folks and you see this and that and the other. And interestingly enough, it reminds me of a circumstance where uh, there were kids and they were here at church. And they were absolutely crazy. Out of control. And the parents, bless their darling hearts, you know, they just, you know, they said, (laughs) they said, well, isn't that just I don't remember if they said so cute or something like that or just like Joe. And I I didn't say anything. Hey, I restrained myself. But I thought to myself, no, it really is not. You know, I mean, is that is that the way you roll? I mean, you know, are you with me? Okay, now I didn't name any names. So don't, you know, think I'm talking about you or anything of that nature, but. You know, the Bible t- does tell us that we're to have our household under control. And these were not under control, dude. They were lost in space. And so, so it's, it's interesting. I don't know how come me to get off on some of these things. But, uh, you know, even like a child, you know, throws a tam- tr- tantrum or something of that nature, you've got to call them on it. You know, you just right then and there. You just got to say, ah, uh, that's no, uh uh-uh. uh, we're done with that. Right? Now, if you let it go, it grows, and then it becomes something really out of hand. Are you listening to me? And this isn't a, a message or a, a sermon on parenting, but, hey, it works. You know what I'm saying? Because love corrects. You know, we we're talking about defining what love is. If you really love your child, then you're going to... And I'm not talking about it in some kind of a, a dictatorial, you know, uh, uh, draconian. That's a... That's a nice word that they're using these days, you know, or anything of that nature. But I'm telling you that if you love your child, you're going to look them in the eye and you're going to talk to them about whatever it is that's, that's, that's not right. And it, you'll be doing yourself a favor. Amen? Because then you won't have all the heartache, you know, that goes along with little Johnny, you know, growing up, misbehaving even more and, and, and allowing it to grow into God only knows what. So anyway, talking about this thing about love, we've got to get back on our subject here. You guys, should, keep, you know, leading me off into other things. It's your fault. Hallelujah. Um, but the importance of walking in love and how important that is for us as a people. And, and we mentioned the fact that the love way is God's way. God is love, right? And so not only is it his way, but it's the best way. It's the winner's way. And it's our way. Everybody say, it's my way. It's yeah, it's your way. I mean, I know every one of you that are sitting here want to have good success in your life. I know that you want to have a favorable outcome and a a life of peace and contentment and all of the other things that we might describe. Well, it comes as a result of us obeying him and doing what it is that he said. That's how we experience that. But, you know, if you step back, I mentioned this before, but if you step back in the beginning of your life, you know, how many of you ever thought, boy, if I could just do it all over again? Well, you don't get that chance. Okay? Uh, if you step back in the beginning of your life to determine the best outcome, in other words, you know, you want to you look out there into the future of your life and you want to determine what it is is the best outcome for your life to, to have greater success than you could ever imagine and enjoy, what would give shape, what would give form or formation to that best life. And I would just have to say to you that it would be that you have to decide or you have to choose that no matter what, everybody say, no matter what, Amen. no matter what, you're going to choose to walk in love. Amen. And that's true of all of our lives, you know. I mean, there's things that, that come up within our lives that some kind, sometimes can really... <clears throat> Uh, uh, blindside us, but thank God we can recover. Can you say amen? And we can do the right thing uh, when it comes to uh, God's plan for our life. So as being a member within the family of God, God has a, a very different way for us to live apart from the world. You know, he's called us out of darkness. We sang about it this morning. In other words, our old life and the life that we once lived is no longer ours. Our identity and our citizenship and everything no longer belongs in the world or being a part of the world. And the truth of the matter is, I've said it so many times, you know, I'm about wore it out. But I'm telling you, man, you can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the church and expect, you know, that you're going to have a favorable outcome. You might get your britches ripped out, but, but you're not going to have a favorable outcome. You know, put off the old and put on the new. He's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hallelujah. I remember when Joan and I, she was just 18. I was 19 when we got saved. And uh, I wished so deeply that I would have known him as a young boy. That I wouldn't even have had to go through my adolescent life without him. But, you know, you just you, you do what you do, and you know what you know, and, and that's all there is. But when we came to know him, and I don't know, you know, I mean, we weren't married at the time, of course. Uh, we were dating and things like that. But of our own volition and of our own personal will, we made a decision that we were going to follow him. Now, I've said this many times, say it again. If you'd have told me at that moment in my life, even after I got saved, I mean, for a number of years, if you said, well, you're going to be a preacher, I would have said, dude, you are out of your stinking mind. Because it was not on my radar, okay, until June 11th in a little Pentecostal church in Woodbine, Iowa, everything got changed. But irrespective of that, she and I made a decision that we were going to find what the Bible had to say about the way we were to live, and we were going to do it. Now, I I wouldn't say at all that we were ever perfect. None of us are. But it ought to be our pursuit. Are you listening to me? No matter how old we are, no matter how long we've known him, it ought to be our pursuit, praise God, to continue to be followers of him and do that that is pleasing within his his sight. Amen? And I tell you what, for a church like ours, that's exactly what we're going to do. I said that's what we're going to do. We're going to follow him. You know, the Bible says to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God Will abide forever. So again, you know, it's the new birth, being born again, that enables every Christian to be able to walk in love. A lot of times, people, you know, they, 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 they beg off on this saying, well, you know, I just can't do that. No, you can, you just don't want to. Okay? It's a flesh thing. You know, you'd rather, you know, keep being angry or, you know, be critical or cynical or whatever. But the reality is, is that if you want to, by the power of God, you can, you can do all the things that are required of you as a child of God. How many of you believe that? So we can't make excuse and excuse ourselves and our behavior because we think we can't. We, we have to come up to the reality of realizing the real fact of the matter is... I don't want to. I like this, because this serves me. Well, like I said, you know, part of the whole deal about love is, is that it doesn't serve you, it serves others. Are you with me? And at the end of the day, the real thing about it is is that if I really want to please him and I do and I know you do, then we're going to do this. I said, we're going to do this. How many are still glad you came today? How many aren't sure? How many are still trying to decide? Well, anyway, So it's it's something that every Christian, every child of God, the person who's born again, can do. The Bible says the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. So it isn't a matter of not being able to do it. Thank God we can. And the reason is, is because he's in us. But the reason that many Christians fall into their, or fall or fail, I should say, in their love walk, is because they allow their flesh to dominate them. Oh, this is difficult to take. And they fail to renew their minds. You got to change the way that you think. Amen? You got to learn what the Word of God has to say and fall in line with that. So we have to renew our mind to the Word of God. In other words, you know, when people don't, when they, really it's a choice, but when they fail to do it, they just, they remain. Uh, um, babies, spiritually speaking, and they don't grow up. God wants you to grow. And, and you, can't, you can't adopt the idea that it's not your responsibility because if you don't grow up, nobody else is going to do that. You know, we got a lot of teenagers and people, you know, that get out into life, college age and different things like that. And, you know, uh, there's, there's a rude awakening that, that, that comes to all of them because they think, you know, it's a free ride. Well, it's not a free ride. You're going to have to figure it out, and you're going to have to do some growing. When I got saved, um, well, it was about two years down the road that uh, he called us into the ministry, and Joan and I, we, we married, and then we went to school. And i got to tell you, in that first year, dude, I did more growing than any guy on the planet because of a lot of different things in terms of whether I was going to be a follower of him because a lot of times you got stuff in your life that's got to get burned out. And one of those things is taking responsibility. You know, I was not a responsible person before I was saved. I just, you know, passed it off to everybody else. Well, when I got saved, and then, uh, you know, uh, we, uh, we found ourselves, you know, we were pregnant, and then uh, nine months later, you know, after nine months, something drops on the ground. And uh, I've I got a son. Well, it didn't drop on the ground. It's a bad analogy, okay. But you know, when you, when, let's put it this way when your wife gives birth to a child, a lot of things change. And there's responsibility there that you can't abdicate. Now, some fathers will, and that's one of the reasons why we have so many social problems within the world in which we, we live, but that's, that's, not, that's not the subject. But I did a lot of growing up, and um, I thank God for it. Amen. Because if I was going to have his life, I was going to have to do some changing. And that is true of all of us. Okay? It isn't that you can't, but the reality is is that, and, and I think really, you know, it, it finds its kind of its seat, you know, in this issue of uh, uh, responsibility. Because listen, child of God, you guys, you know, when you're born of the Spirit of God, you're bigger. On the inside, you're bigger than not taking responsibility. Are you listening to me? You're bigger than that. God has made you capable, and he has empowered you to start doing the right kinds of things again instead of making excuses, begging off, and not stepping up. Are you with me? So, so when, you, when you're not being responsible uh, about things... Um, you got to own it. Does that make sense to you? You know? And and a lot of folk, especially today, they don't want to own anything. Not my fault. And you know where that comes from. It comes from the old Adamic nature. You know, when God uh, came to Adam after his transgression, he says, "Uh, what have you done? He says, well, it's that woman that you gave me. It's not my fault. Yours and hers, but not mine. And today, that that spirit, that nature, is so prevalent within people because they don't want to accept responsibility and things of that nature within their lives. But you know, I tell you, uh, if you'll learn to do it, it'll bless you immeasurably. Can you say Amen? So I have a subtitle to my message today. It's entitled Service or strife. Now, m- when I was on the way to church, I gave my wife a little inside scoop to what was going to be talked about today. And I, I, first of all, I said, service or um, selfishness. She goes, ooh, you know, that'll be interesting. But then I said, no, 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 no. Uh, actually, that's not right. Service or strife. And, and I explained to her, I said that, you know, typically uh, the root of strife is selfishness. Are you with me? So it all kind of goes together, you know, in in some form or another. But I want to talk to you about this because it's so prevalent within the Bible and how important it is for us to avoid it. Now, again, I want to preface my comments to you here this morning by saying I am not sharing these things with you because... Okay, I got to come up with a good message, you know, so it needs to be relevant and, you know, hopefully, you know, it'll resonate with people. I'm, I'm sharing this with you because I believe that heaven has mandated that I share it with you. And so, my point to saying that is, is that some of you are having temptations where strife is concerned in your life and relation. It could be immediate, it could be, you know, husband, wife, or it could be in the family, it could be extended. All of those things. But I'm just telling you right now that if if that has been going on, God, he's going to talk to you today about it. And he's going to ask you to do something about it so that your life can take the course that he wants it to. Are you with me? The Bible says a servant of the Lord must not strive or allow himself to get into, you know, situations that he doesn't belong in. Are you are you with me? I had a deal just happen here just this past week. I got a phone call. I didn't take the phone call but uh, because I wasn't available to take it. But there were some other, you know, precursors to this thing that that led me to believe, at least in my own mind, and, you know, it's ama- amazing how your imagination can run. I thought, oh, boy, you know, I'm not sure I want to return this call. How many of you have ever been there before? Why? Because you don't want to walk into a storm. Are you with me? But yet right on the other hand, you know, you, you, you have to deal with these kinds of things. So what do you do? Well, you gird up the loins of your mind, baby. And you say, okay, this is the way we're going to walk down this. And this is what we're going to do. Aren't you glad for that? Are you with me? So when it comes to this thing about strife, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, I'll, I'll try to... Uh, share this with you as quickly as I can because there's a lot to it. First Corinthians chapter 3. Strife is something that the Bible describes as a scheme or device of the devil. Would you all agree with that? Okay. So in other words, if I'm going to mess up somebody's life, I'm going to do what I can to try to introduce strife into that situation. And once it takes hold, I don't really have to do anything after that because they'll go ahead and just self-destruct. But the Bible says that we're not ignorant of his devices, or at least we shouldn't be. So, so what we do is, is we make, again, this determination because it really is outside the realm and, 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 and the walk of love. We make a choice and a decision that there will be no strife in my life. Can you do that? Absolutely. In other words, it's not an option. Now, others may want to get into strife or whatever the case might be, but you can just say, not me. I am not going to be a part of this. Are you listening to me? Why? Because I've chosen a different life. I'm bigger than that. And I am not going to allow myself to stick my foot into that trap and end up in a place where I don't want to be. Notice with me here, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, couldn't speak to you as unto spiritual, but rather as unto carnal or fleshly, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with meat. Up to this time, you've not been able to bear it neither now are you yet able to bear it, for or because you're carnal. Woo! How do you like that, preacher? Huh? He's writing this letter to him, dude, and he's just like laying it down. You know, I can give you some social gospel, you know, and try to, you know, fluff you up a little bit. But really, you know, we need to hear these things. Huh? You know? He says, because you're carnal, you're fleshly, you're, you're body-ruled. You know, and then he goes on in this third verse. He says, "For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, aren't aren't you just carnal and walk like ordinary mere men?" And in this case, you know, in the church, they they divided themselves up. You know, and they said, "Well, you know, we're we're uh, uh, Billy Grammers," <laughs> and the other one says, "No, no, 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 we're we're Kenneth Copeland." Or we're this or we're that or we're the other, you know. And Paul just went on to explain every one of those people, regardless of their particular approach to ministry, were all called of God to do what it is that they do. So it isn't about, you know, getting into this debate about who's better than the rest. We just ought to thank God for all of them if they're preaching the life-giving message of Jesus Christ so that people can get saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, and live for Him. Amen. Now, it may not be your cup of tea, but that's okay. Are you with me? Boy, if you could only see what I see right now. Hallelujah. Well, so anyway, there was problems, you know, and they were having strife. Now, when Paul was writing to Timothy, look with me if you'd like, or otherwise I'll throw it up on the screen, uh, to 2 Timothy, I believe it is. Um, Yeah, chapter 2. It says that in a great house, talking about the church... In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but there's also of wood and earth. And some people aren't getting along quite so well in their walk with God, or in their spirituality, in their, in their growth process. And you say, well, what's the matter with them? How come they, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, you can either get all over their case, or you can help to encourage them in their walk with God. Amen? In other words, instead of being judgmental and, you know, all of the things that are associated with that. We're, we're really good sometimes of, you know, um, giving our opinion. And guess what? Sometimes our opinion isn't worth a whole lot. I'd like to ask you if you're still glad you came today, but by the looks of things, I don't think I need to ask that question. All right. Moving right along. It says here that in a great house there are not only uh, vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and earth, some which honor and others that dishonor. Well, that's unfortunate. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a, a vessel unto honor, sanctified meat for the master's use. Now, let's back up here. It says, if a man purge himself, therefore, from these. And you say, well, what's the these he's talking about? Well, if you go back in the chapter, it says to avoid foolish and unlearned questions. Have you ever been baited before? Huh? Well, thank God, you know, as we, you know, it can happen to you once or twice, but hopefully we grow up and we say, oh, no, you don't. I ain't going there. Are you listening to me? I'll give you a great example. I, two, uh, two weeks ago, I was sharing this and Joan and I talked a little bit more. Remember when I, uh, I did the funeral for one extended family member in our church and not in our church, an extended family member in my family. They didn't have a pastor. And so I said, sure, you know. And so we were doing this, this funeral. No. What was it, a wedding? Was it a wedding? Huh? It, it was a wedding. Was a wedding. <laughs> you know, those two things are, well, they're not really similar. But anyway, it was a wedding. And so after this wedding... As a family, a big family deal, we were going to go, uh, actually it was up here in Oakland, we were going to go have a bite to eat together because we hadn't seen one another for a long time. So sure enough, uh, we, we went into the restaurant, you know, and, uh, and we're taking our seats and things of that nature and whatnot. And this, she would be a, I guess she'd be a cousin of mine. She made sure that she made her way And she was going to sit right across the table from me, okay? I'm kind of naive. I'm not thinking really. You know, I'm just glad to have the wedding over with. We're going to, you know, take a lunch, a meal together. and We're just going to, you know, sing Kumbaya. Oh, no. Uh Uh-uh. No. No, 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 no. And so all of a sudden, she starts in. And what it was all about, and Joan helped me to remember it, it was over uh, the matters of submission, you know, that a, that a wife is to submit to her husband, the husband's to love her uh, wife. And I mean, she was an angry person. And she wanted to fight. She wanted to have, she was, she, you know, you talk about wanting to get in strife, yikes. And so I just refused. And that always makes people madder. Because, you know, when they want to argue and you won't, oh boy, that's a deal. And finally, you know, she just kind of kept harping, and finally I just said, look, I'm not going to sit here and argue with you about this. If you want to take it up, take it up with Jesus. It's in the Word of God. And, you know, we use the word submission, and so many things have been so distorted and, and misplaced, you know, within culture and society about these matters. But the Bible does say that we're, I mean, if you want to say it in, a, in its simplest terms, we're, we're, to, we're to respect everyone we're, we're to respect one another are you with me and so that's really you know the context that the writers in the in the bible are talking about but boy she was she was she was just one of them so guess what we didn't get too far and you know obviously at that point in my life obviously i wasn't going to be able to help her why because she didn't want to she didn't want to be helped and the same thing's true with all of you, you guys. You're going you're gonna to run into situations where, you know, <clears throat> somebody's got an ax to grind, and, and you're not going to be able to fix it. Everybody say, that's okay. It's okay. You know, what you want to do is you want, you know, as much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. But, it, you know, if, if that's the, as far as it can go, then walk away. That's what we did. She didn't ruin the meal, but she sure didn't help it. Because everybody else is sitting around awkwardly listening to this rant, you know. And actually, you know, it's kind of like you almost feel sorry for them. It's, In other words, it's kind of like, do you have a clue, you know, what it is that you're doing here? You know, obviously they don't. But anyway, where was I? If a man purge himself from these, we're talking about avoiding foolish and unlearned questions. So anyway, that's the these that talking about here. He said, if you do, you'll be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Verse 22, he says, flee also youthful lust, talking to Timothy. But follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now listen again. But foolish and unlearned questions, what's the word? What's it say? Avoid. Stay out of it. Hallelujah. Amen. (laughs) And notice it says, uh, as we go on here, uh, knowing that they do gender strifes and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, preadventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of who? The devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Now, I don't know about you, my friend, but that's scary. I don't want the devil having anything to do in my life. Amen? So we have to be careful about that. So you have to purpose and resolve that you're going to live by a different standard. Everybody say, that's what I'm going to do. huh? You're going to live by a different standard, and you're not going to get sucked into the traps of the enemy. Now, how are we doing for time here? Okay. Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 13, if you've got a Bible or you're using a device. John, chapter 13. You're familiar with this story. I'm going to read through it. It's, it's somewhat lengthy, but... It is in the context, we're talking about having communion here in just a moment. This was in that environment when Jesus had gathered with his disciples. And it was in that moment that they were going to have communion together. And it begins here in verse uh, 1 of chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, and that he should depart out of this world unto the Father... Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Supper being ended, the devil now having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he was come from God and he went to God. He rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. And after he poured water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. And then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, does you, are you going to wash my feet? And he said, um, what I do you know not now, or don't understand, but you will know hereafter. And Peter said, well, you're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I wash thee not, you have no part with me. And Peter said to him, well, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and head. And Jesus said to him, he that wash, is washed needs not accept to wash his feet. But is clean every whit, and you are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken uh, his garments and was set down again, he asked them, do you know what I've done to you? And he said, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. But if I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, then you you ought to... Wash one another's feet. And I have given you an example that you should do as I've done unto you. Verily I say unto you, he said, a servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. And then he went on to say, if you know these things, you'll be really happy if you do them. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. How would you characterize Jesus' um, uh, behavior, or how would you characterize his washing of their feet? Now, you don't have to answer, but just think about it. How would you characterize what just happened? Could we say that what it is that they just experienced and witnessed, and the example that Jesus gave to them, was simply an act of humility as a servant to them. Would you agree with that? I mean, it, obviously, it is an absolute act of humility that the Lord Jesus Christ would stoop down, do what he did, and wash these guys' feet. And, and Peter was not comfortable, and many of us would not be either. It's like, whoa, how, no, you shouldn't be doing this. But yet he still did it. Now, the interesting thing about all of this, and we never see this, you know, without really kind of drilling down into it. um, Peter, in this moment, was being a knothead. And that's putting it mildly. Okay? And so when Jesus, you know, uh, let's just say it this way. Peter had a real problem with pride. Okay? And... um, And it was being demonstrated. He was being very loveless in this situation. Now, I don't know (laughs) if this happened ahead of time or if it happened. I mean, if Jesus washed their feet afterwards or, or before. But just hold all that in your mind a little bit and back up with me and look at Luke chapter 22. Okay? Look at Luke chapter 22. Because Luke tells us a little bit different, well, he comes at it from a little bit different angle. Let's put it that way. Now, bear in mind, this is the same night, same table, same gathering, okay? Notice what it says in chapter 22, verse 15, With desire I have desired to have or eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And I won't do it again until all is fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven. Then he took the cup and and he gave it to them and so on and so forth. Now, let's drop down to um, uh, verse 23. And then they began to uh, inquire among themselves which of them it is that would betray him. Now, look what it says in verse 24. And. an and means a conjunction. So Jesus says that. You know, somebody around this table. I mean, I don't think that we, I mean, sometimes we religiously look at these things and, and, and that's all well and good. But man, dude, you, you need to drill down and you need to sit in that room with them and listen to everything that's going on. Because, I mean, you know, when, when Jesus said, somebody's going to someone around this table tonight is going to betray me. I mean, you know, you talk about throwing a wet blanket on a party. And so they're all asking, you know, who's going to do this? And, you know, and, and so Peter, he, he, he meant, you know, he, he motions to John because John was close to Jesus and said, ask him who it is, you know. And so, you know, John said, well, who is it, Lord? And he says, the person to whom I give this bread. And he gave it to Judas. So John knew. But, but think about what that's all about. And he, you know, so they're asking all these questions. And the Bible says, and there was a strife among them as to who should be the greatest. Okay, let's read it. Uh, Notice what's going on here. In verse 24, and there also was a strife among them as to which should be accounted the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But you shall not be so. But he that's greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that does what? Serve. For whether it is greater, he that sits and meet or he that serves? It is is it not he that sits at meat? But I am among you as he that what? Serves. And then uh, you are they that have continued with me in my temptations, and I have appointed unto you a kingdom as my Father has appointed unto me, and uh, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And, and then he turns. I don't think this is by coincidence. He turns, and, he's, and the Lord said to Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. And he says, but I prayed for you that when you're, that your faith fail not, and when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. And then when he said these things, he, uh, they went out. Now, so see the picture. Okay, see the whole thing. He's talking to him. He says, one of you are going to betray me. They're really confused about that. They're wondering what the deal. But there was also an argument about him, about who's going to be the greatest. I mean, this is not, you know, the kind of communion table that, you know, you see in the picture where we're all laying around lounging and, you know, eating grapes. There was stuff going on. And, and I would almost think, you know, that Jesus, you know, after three and a half years of being around him, I, you know, if he didn't know what he know, knew, he'd think, my God, these 12, when, or I mean 11, when I'm gone, this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> Why? Because they were human. They were like you and me. I mean, they, they behaved in these ways, but he knew that when they were born of his spirit, and the Holy Ghost came upon them and lived in them, that it would alter, change, and transform them Forever. But in the meantime, he's dealing with this. So I I have the question, you know, when all of this was done, there was a strife about who should be the greatest, and he talked to them about serving, and then he turned right to Peter. And i got to believe that cat was the instigator. And he said, Peter, the devil has desired, uh, it it says, to sift you as wheat, We could say it this way, the devil wants to run you through a grinder. But I prayed for you that your faith won't fail. So that when you're converted, and you know what happened, he denied Jesus and became super disillusioned about everything. I mean, yeah, he went through some stuff. But thank God he came back. I said, thank God he came back. I said, thank God he came back. That he didn't allow the condemnation that was probably so heavy upon him that it's unimaginable for us. But thank God he came back. When Jesus was resurrected, he told Mary, he says, you tell the disciples and Peter that I will see them in Galilee. Because I'm telling you what, dude, that trashed him. You know, because he's saying, you you can't wash my feet. If you're going to wash my feet, do the whole thing. You know, he says, that's not what this is about. You know, in other words, he was saying, man, I'm all in. Well, he wasn't. You know, and his true colors came out. But thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the new birth. Because, praise God, that can change a man or woman and make us everything that God wants us to be. Can you say amen? Amen. But I want you to see the context of this. So my question is, and I don't know. You know, after all this happened, you know, and he said, Peter, the devil's like, he wants to sift you or run you through a grinder. I wonder if in that moment, Jesus decided to go over And take his outer garments off, gird himself with a thing, and go through that whole process of washing their feet. What sayest thou? What do you think? Selah. I don't know. Maybe it was before that. But all I know is it all happened that night when they were together. And so repeatedly in the context of all of this, my point as we try to bring this to a close, is, is that these were imperfect men, but God was going to do something through the resurrection to make them new creations in Christ, just like he has for you and me. And it changed them. And it empowered them. It enabled them. What does that mean? That means, praise God, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And I'm talking about it in the context of living a life of love. And and I'll I'll say this to you. You know, in the world in which we're living, Paul talked about, you know, in the last days perilous times shall come. We're in them. And so you really have to be very careful about how you live. Are you with me? Because, um, you know, it's funny because the world, hell, the Antichrist tries to distort and twist the truth in any way that it can. I use this example or illustration Wednesday, but I'll I'll do it again. You'll hear this phraseology being used today in culture. And they'll say that we're supposed to be loving and accepting. Now, doesn't that sound good? Huh? To be loving and to be accepting. But you know, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't talk about accepting sin. Are you with me? The Bible teaches love and repentance. Huh? But that little subtle twist causes so many people to be confused about, well, you know, now, you know, I mean, you know, um, you know, the Bible says we're supposed to love everybody. Yes, that's true. But you have to understand that a lot of times, by definition, what people think that means then is is that we are to condone, that we are to accept, that we are to, I don't know, what do you say, look the other way? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible is very clear about the need for, you know, the fact that God loves us, but He calls us to repentance. What's that mean? That means we're supposed to turn and go the other direction, okay? So... Again, you know, in the days in which we're living right now, it it becomes so imperative, you guys. I mean, children of God, it's so important for you to keep your head screwed on right and walk in love. And don't get into this comparison thing and arguing thing and all of the other things that are going on. See, Isaiah said, woe unto those that call evil good and good evil. And boy, it is happening. You'll hear people, you know, that in the media and different places like that, and, you know, they're going after the church, they're going after conservatives, and and what they're doing is is they're saying that the way that we live and, and the position that we have taken from a biblical point of view is hate. You know, and so what they're trying to do is they're trying to tag righteousness and, and, and right living, justice, equity, all of these different kinds of things in, in, in our world as hate. And then they can take, or at least attempt, to take the law. You know, they talk about hate crimes. Well, there are hate crimes. And they do need to be, you know, appropriately cared for and dealt with. But they have taken it way over to work to their advantage. And and the reality is, (laughs) they talk about us being haters. Dude, I'm telling you, everything that's coming out of their mouth is born out of hate. It's absolutely born out of hate. So that's why I share these things with you um, as a pastor, you know, um, like I said, I could I could come up with a lot of different things, but I want you to win. I want you to succeed, I want you to succeed in your marriage. I want you to succeed in your parenting and your raising of your kids. such a righteous thing, man. Are you listening to me um, it, it 's so uh, so important. I um, went to um, well, is Keith and Carla here? Where are you guys? Yeah, Keith's here. Went to um, their son's wedding up in Iowa City a week ago. And uh, I tell you guys, I was so blessed to watch these two young people walk this aisle. And and the reason that I say it is because everything in the context of that wedding was Christ-exalting and uplifting. I went to um, Greg and Pam's daughter's wedding. It was one of the richest, most wonderful times to celebrate marriage between a man and a woman. And everything in that whole thing lifted up the name of Jesus. That's what we want to do. Dude, let's just not slide in. Let's not just, you know, kind of get along, man. Dude, let's be an example to the world that Jesus is Lord. Are you listening to me? Not compromise, not, you know, settle, but praise God, let's be the people that God's called us to be. Now, not everybody's going to like that. I get it. I understand that. But Jesus paid an incredible price, everyone. He laid down his life. And at that table where those 12 people were, he took a cup and he took bread. And he said, this is my body and this is my blood that's broken for you. And so every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, it's going to represent the price that I paid so you could live. So celebrate it, rejoice in it, but honor it and respect it with your lives and do what I ask you to do. And, you know, because, again, I mentioned this earlier, but, you know, if we really love him, we're going to obey him. Amen. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he's the one that loves me. Get your cup out there, if you would, please. And let's let's take this together. <clears throat> Jesus made this statement in uh, John chapter 14. He said, he that loves me keeps my commandments. He that has my commandments and keeps them, it's he that loves me. And he will be loved, or uh, he that loves me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him. And I'll manifest myself to him. And Jesus, you know, one of the disciples said, well, how are you going to manifest yourself to us and not the rest of the world? And he just answered he, if a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him. And we will come to them, and we'll make our abode with them. There isn't anything, you guys, more precious than the fact that he lives in you and that he's with you. And he goes on then to say in these verses, um, He that loves me not keeps not my sayings, And the word that you hear from me is not really mine, but the Father that sent me. But that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father has given me commandment, even so I do. So let's go. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for the sacrifice. Jesus was willing to make on that night that he was betrayed. God, we have no way of knowing the scope of what it is he accomplished when he went to that cross and died for us. We have just but an inkling of understanding and insight into it. But Father, we are so thankful as a congregation of people as we sit here before you today. And God, we honor you with our lives. And we ask you to help us to be people, Father, that love as you loved. And Father God, we thank you for this bread that we hold in our hand that represents his body, broken for us so that we may be healed, so that we may be healthy, so that we may be whole. And God, it is with faith that we partake of this element today, and we thank you for what it represents in Jesus' name. You may partake of the bread. Once again, Father, we thank you for this cup that represents the precious blood of Jesus. Father God, no other blood was sufficient except his to do what he did. And so, Father God, we thank you for what it represents in our lives. The remission of sins, the healing of our bodies, our souls, our minds, our hearts, And I just thank you, Father God, for your love toward us. (laughs) So amazing. And we thank you, Lord God, for this cup as we partake of it today in Jesus' name. You may partake of the cup. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, as we pray before you this day, God, I, help you. I ask you to help us. Father God, to keep our, our feet from being taken, and that, Father God, we can be wise as serp- serpents, yet harmless as doves. That, God, we behave ourselves wisely, and that we don't allow ourselves, Father God, to be taken in or even succumbing to, Father, those things which are susceptible in the world. And I just thank you, Father God. Oh, thank you, Lord. While every head's bowed and every eyes closed, no one's looking around here this morning. I want you to just take a moment, if you would please, just to examine your thought life for just a moment and ask yourself the question, you know, have you been have you has the the thought patterns that you've had, have they been critical? Have they been judgmental? Have they been um cynical, had they been um, just unhealthy um, in in whatever ways or towards um, certain things or people for that matter. Just take a moment and think about that with me for just a moment. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Father. So now, if you've identified something of that nature and you're, you're wanting to say, you know what, Lord, this is, uh, I know this is displeasing to you and I want to make a correction in that. I want you just to, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And you just let your heart agree with the prayer. Just say it loud enough for you to be able to hear yourself say it, but let your heart agree with it. And that way we can move forward as he would have us to. Say this with me, dear. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I ask you to help me to sanctify my thought life and my heart. Forgive me, Lord, for my judgmental or critical way. I ask You, Lord, to help me to renew my mind to think the way You think. And I just thank You, Lord, for Your incredible grace upon my life and in my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. I want to take it another step further. Um, um, You know, you've heard the saying, there's an elephant in the room. You know what that means, don't you? Something's going on, but we're not talking about it. So, you know, the circumstances, you know, bear this this act or action, and, and it wouldn't apply to everyone. But, you know, if you've had something going on with someone, maybe it's time to clear the air. And so if you dealt with your own heart here today about the things, then maybe now it's time to take the next step. You say, man, I don't know how to do that. I just don't feel comfortable about that at all. You know, sometimes it may not be the most comfortable thing that you've ever done in your life, but sometimes you just got to step into it and say, God, help me and do it and apologize or ask to be forgiven or, you know, whatever, whatever it represents. But the only reason that I say it is you don't have to. You, You can leave it the way it is, or you can do something about it. And that's what I want you to do, because you're bigger. Isn't that right? The greater one's on the inside of you. Isn't that right? I don't get too many nods here. Please come on, help me out a little bit. Yeah. Yes, you are. And here's the other thing about that, is that you don't want to give the devil any place. And if you don't, do what I'm suggesting or, you know, I'm not commanding you, but I'm just suggesting. If you don't do it, then you're, you're still out in the weeds. You know what I mean by that expression? You know, clean it all up. Say, hey, listen, I, I, I just been wrong about this. I'm sorry. And I just want to make it right with you and so on and so forth. And do whatever it is that you got to do. Why? Because we want to get ourselves in a place, praise God, where we're walking down the middle of the road where we belong. Amen? How many of you want to do that? So it's important in these last days to do that, and, and I trust that you will. Praise God. So you've been such attentive listeners uh, to, to what I had to share with you. I hope that it blesses your heart and helps you. Uh, I don't know about you, but I want to grow, and I want to do it His way. Amen. And so to the best of our abilities, that's what we're going to do. So let's pray once more. And uh, we're going to receive an offering here in a moment. We can include that in our prayer. And uh, then we'll go from there. Father, thank you for this time together as a family, a church family, to discuss these things, Father God, that, yeah, they, they're weighty, but they're necessary. And, and so I pray, God, that you'll help each and every one of us to assimilate them into our lives with appropriateness i mean with 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 context that that is just and right and honest and i just thank you father god for the love of god that you placed within each of our hearts help us father to let that abound just in a in a magnificent kind of way in these last days and father i just thank you for your grace in every one of our lives i pray for the families that are represented within our church, those that are here and those that um, are not, that couldn't be. God, we pray for them, that Lord, you'll strengthen them with might by your spirit in their inner man. Let them live, Father God, with a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Help them to be strong, Father, stalwart. We pray for our children. Lord, help them to understand how important mom and dad is to them in their life. Help them, Father God, to understand that in their submission to their parents, that there is with it a promise that it might be well with them so that they can live long on the earth. And God, we thank you for all of our church workers who gave of themselves so uh, selflessly in these past weeks, who went and poured their life into kids so that they could know the truth and the truth make them free. God, we pray your blessing upon them because of such a righteous thing that they've done. And God, we're grateful for each and every one of them. And we thank you, Father God, that you brought them into our lives um, to service in the way that they have. And so God, we just thank you for our church. Thank you for these days ahead, that Father, there is great hope in you. And God, there is so much more that you're gonna do through this local church and others like it in these days, and these weeks, these months ahead. And so, Father God, we glory in you. We thank you for your blessing, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said?